I didn't know it was in this beer until you mentioned it. And when you did my next sip, I was like, oh my God, there it is. <laughs> Inception. Yeah, no, but it, yeah, it's, it's there. It's, it's, it's jumping out. Ah, oh, man. It's, it's almost like, you know, right. We wish we had more of them to kind of take time and enjoy because it's so easy to drink through relatively quickly. Sitting with it for a bit, though, as we'll all start to do now, um, it's it's giving me even more of an experience as it warms up and opens up a little bit. And to our point, as I look on a tap to your... I can tell Harrison's been drinking. I'm burping, and here we go. It's all happening. Right, making room for more. Excuse me. Good morning. You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official untapped podcast. Your inside look into what's happening in the untapped community and the world of beer. I'm John, and I'm grateful to be back with my friend, my drinking buddy, and co-host with two more beers to share with you today. Today's Beer 101 will be focusing on malt, and I expect Harrison to give us some great stories, just as he did with the hops in the last episode. <laughs> but also, we're updating Mount Beermore with the third of four beers for Season 3, and I'm really excited about this one. Fantastic. And I'm Harrison. Malt, malt, malt. Today, we're going to shed some light on how slight adjustments of a beer's grain bill uh, can give you completely different results. If hops are the jazz hands of a beer, then malt is its sequence tracksuit. So let's get deep and find out more about how and why. <laughs> well, we drink some great beers that highlight the magic of malt along the way. Uh, but first, as a reminder... Drinking Socially is released every other Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untap.com. How do I follow that? <laughs> um, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's right. Um, that was an outstanding intro, Harrison. <laughs> yeah, a lot, of, a lot of talk about a lot of, a lot of fun dancing clothes. You managed to tie jazz hands and sequence tracksuits into malt. <clears throat> Somehow. Um, which which is just, which is magical just part of the magic um, that's right john keep the magic going how's uh how's your how's your last couple of weeks been it's been two weeks since we sat down have you oh. drank anything cool done anything yeah uh, extraordinary right or good pretty straightforward nothing too crazy for me on the kind of weekend beers i i kind of took another Trip down memory lane, which I guess if you drink enough beer is kind of inevitable all the time. You'll be having something that serves up some memories. This one, though, went way back. I had both Mama's Little Yellow Pills and Dale's Pale Ale from Oscar Blues uh, recently. I've got a, their their new variety can pack and have been working my way through that. And it's just great. Uh, they did a rebrand not too long ago. All their cans look fantastic. Um, and the beer still tastes as good as ever. But it's been a little bit... I had both of them and just kind of a reminder of how good both those beers are um, overall. And then, you know, how drinkable they are, how for the time of year, it's an awesome combo to go from kind of Pilsner to Pale Ale and back and forth. So I did that for a good bit um, um, last weekend, but just kind of reminded me, yeah, just early days of my craft beer journey, drink those, those beers a lot and reminded me of something that will be coming up a little bit later in the Mount Beermore section, kind of jog my memory of some beers that really set me down the path that I'm uh, on today. I'm very thankful for. Um, and what also reminded me, and I'm kind of giving away perhaps what this beer is going to be. I'm going to talk about and add to the Beermore today um, was Chris Wagner in the Facebook group uh, asked about yes. We Heavy. He was like, what do you guys, episode 14, can you find a We Heavy somewhere? 
Yeah, we tried. Um, as of now, it is summer in North Carolina and all over the place in the Northern Hemisphere, but in North Carolina too. Um, and uh, so not a beer you see a lot on the shelf right now, unfortunately. So we tried. No luck. But again, we'll be talking about me specifically talking about some wee heavies uh, today because I love that style, which we'll, we'll dive into a bit. So good, good on you, Chris, for kind of just giving me the nudge I needed to to make Mountain Beer more kind of a new addition to it. But uh, yeah, what about you, John? What you what you getting into recently? Um, well, uh, the beer that probably got me, I think, the most uh, check in comments over the last couple of weeks mm. is uh, it was called <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> Apple Crumble County. Fair cobbler, um, which I had to write down to yeah. to get that sequence correct. Apple Crumble <clears throat> County Fair cobbler by Wiley Roots out in Greeley, Colorado. Um, I got that from uh, beer delivery service, and it was honestly, it was. I think it was listed as a as a sour, <clears throat> and you could tell that was in there. But <clears throat> the apple crumble part, uh, it was like drinking, you know, like apple pie memories, which is really yeah. cool. And I love when I see some of my untapped friends kind of say, you know, I've had that or what'd you think? And yeah. um, there was a comment on there that was just like, it was it was just gold advice from an untapped user, Maori Mobster, which is also a really cool name. <laughs> um, and Maori Mobster, you drink some amazing beers. Your check-in feed makes me jealous more often than not. But uh, the advice was when in doubt, buy a four pack. Um, and that was that was so true. I always tend to go with a single and, you know, then you drink it and you, I wish I had another, um, sometimes you win, but, um, that was a really cool check-in. Um, you mentioned Chris who suggested a wee heavy. It's a favorite of mine. Uh, we also had a great, would you rather suggestion come Mm. in from Greg. We're going to be answering it on the next episode 15 uh, there were some people talking about Greg's question in the Facebook group, and it's it, it's a really good one. So I'm excited to answer that one on the next episode. Make sure you send in if you have any would you rather's uh, that'll spark some fun conversation. Get with us on yeah. the Facebook group. That's right. That's right. And the last thing that I saw that I loved and laughed about uh, for a while uh, was uh, Kevin Kelly popped in the the Facebook group, which eighties movie is your favorite and has a list of, you know, 12 or so movies here that, uh, that are all classics starting with breakfast club, the Goonies, Beetlejuice, Gremlins, the outsiders, footloose, labyrinth, Ferris Bueller's day off, dirty dancing, the Lost Boys, Ghostbusters, and Back to the Future, and that got a lot of people talking, as it as it should, um, and got John and I thinking too, and kind of right rolling around this this old chestnut to see where we landed. <laughs> I definitely, uh, there's a lot of beer content in the Facebook group now, which of course is largely the reason people show up there, but. Uh, this this post from Kevin, uh, as soon as I mentioned it to Harrison, we were like, we should talk about that. Uh, right. And we have been for the last couple of days. <laughs> right. How could you not? Um, Harrison, I expect you'd have a hard time picking just one. I regard you as kind of an 80s movie aficionado. Mm. Is there one of those that jumps out at you if, if, if you had to choose a favorite? There is. And there, you know, it's, it's tough. It's like, right. Like picking your favorite beer or whatever, insert your own picking favorite, difficult analogy, but there's, there's plenty of them out there. And this, this is like the cream of the crop of, of eighties movies. So right. To pick one would seem difficult. However, 
I happen to think that not only is the movie that that I chose the best movie of this bunch, I think it's the best movie ever made. Period, John. It's the greatest. And we can get into what is a movie and what is a film. Not today, because I do see them as different things. But the greatest movie of all time is Back to the Future. And it's on that list. So that one, that was, that movie changed my life in many ways. It's, I still love it. It's the perfect movie if you like movies or want to make your own movies. That's the one they kind of point you to in film school as one of the ones to read about and learn about what makes a really great movie. It launched a lot of people's careers. It's just got a, and it's just a great story. Um, and, and easily one of my top five movies of all time. Um, so yeah, that again, it's tough. You know, you got gremlins, goonies, there, Beetlejuice, like a fair, all these great movies, but I, I mean, I'm a, I'm back to the future all the way, but where, where were you? What, what, what was kind of running through your mind when you looked at this stuff, John? I, one, it was, I should watch these movies again. It's been a <laughs> yeah, while. Yeah. You're right. Back to the Future is amazing. Ferris Bueller's Day Off is, is out. All of them are worthy of being on this, uh, this 12 kind of post question that Kevin put out there. But for me, uh, the one I would pick is Goonies. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't mirror my life growing up, but I, for the same reason, I love social distortion as a band. Like I feel like the Goonies reminds me so much of, right, right. it was probably only two days in my childhood that I was able to like get out of chores and everything. Right, but watching right. the Goonies makes me feel uh, like a kid again. Yep. Uh, thanks for sending us down memory and, and even uh, greatest film history Elaine. That's right. Um, Kevin, thanks for the question. That was awesome. Indeed. You know what goes great with 80s movies, Harrison? Besides leg warmers and uh, Zumba classes? What, John? Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Yogalotti's, whatever it is. Um, Yogalotti's, yeah. leg warmers, and of course, beer. Ah! Uh, so... Those of you that listen to the Drinking Socially podcast for beer, uh, hopefully enjoyed the 80s movie rant. I think that was fun. <laughs> uh, but we've got a beer. And so the the two beers we picked for this episode were uh, ideally just ways that we could kind of think about or talk about malt's role in beer with episode 14, mm-hmm. focusing on malt for beer 101. So the first one... Um, as soon as we talked about malt, Harrison said, I wish we could get an ESB. Yep. And uh, this was actually the first style of beer that I ever homebrewed, air quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, so this beer is is titled ESB. It's made from Green Man Brewery, who's out in Asheville. We just had a couple of people tour Asheville in the Facebook group. Yeah, that's right. awesome beer city. They've been there for a long time. Um, they list it as an ESB, and I, my, the first question I want to ask Harrison is: is uh, is it extra special? Is it extra strong? Is it English? We'll cover that maybe, and I don't know if there is an answer, but it comes yeah. in at five point five ABV. They list thirty two IBUs, and the notes they provide are that it's a malty amber ale boasting rich toasted caramel flavor. Green Man ESB is an award winning brew from the brewery. It's a blend of authentic British malts and hops, which create a nutty aroma, full body, and a sweet finish. Um, and their warning is prepare yourself for a truly exceptional interpretation of a traditional English style. I've had this beer before. It mm-hmm. is, um, it's, it's for me, it's, it's Green Man's flagship. 
Yep. Um, and the one I, I find on the on the store shelf pretty often as well in and around uh, North Carolina. So uh, I see Harrison's a little Oof. bit ahead of me on the pour. Right. I'm excited to catch up. I know, exactly. But yeah, and while you're doing that, yeah, this is, you know, as we kind of covered before, I, I moved to North Carolina about four years ago. And this Green Man was one of the breweries, the first breweries people told me to check out when I moved here. And their porter and ESB were like the beers they said you got to try. Um, and indeed they've been doing this for a, a while. Um, and yeah, this is, yeah, again, as John said, one of the beers they're really known for and it right away. And it's, it's interesting. So on the bottle and, 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 and their website and everything, it says, you know, yeah, green man ESB, a special Amber ale. So they're, uh, they're going to have later today is also an Amber ale. So, um, and I would kind of tell anyone who's never had a ESB before, if they asked what's an ESB, I'd kind of be like, it's, it's like an amber ale. It's the British version of an amber ale. It's a lighter pale ale. So the comparison is, is warranted there. There are some slight differences, but I'm going to jump into this and, ooh, and see kind of, I, I see jumped what right in. I, I think, I think they were so amazingly accurate with that toasted caramel flavor. Um, ooh. this, this beer, it, it's sweet. Mm. Um, it's clean. It's, 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 I don't know, I can, I can just litter off a whole bunch of those like check-in taste profiles that you see when you go to check into this beer. But the thing that sings to me in the nose and in the taste is like, like brown butter, toasted mm-hmm. caramel, that mm-hmm. like that sea salt cookie that you, that you right. think is healthier than a chocolate chip. Yeah. So for me, uh, John, this, um, it really kind of like splits right down the line between, an American Amber Ale uh, and an ESB, where I'm getting, um, well, I mean, the both styles kind of have like a nice malty kind of bread character to it. There's a little bit of a toasted thing happening. Really, the body is very similar too. I mean, they're, they're so, such two similar styles. I would argue the difference really in those beers is more the water than anything else. Um, and perhaps the yeast, maybe a little bit, but yeah, I get the same thing you are. I'm getting some kind of toasted caramel notes. There's like a biscuity kind of almost like yeah, buttered toast thing happening in there. Um, man, it smells. It smells great. It, it it's yeah, it's it smells like a like a pub. It smells like a proper English pub or a, a brew day. I mean, this yeah, you know, the malts they use in this beer are, are some of the best kind of specialty malts out there. Whether it and it's a lot of biscuit malts, which is kind of like a just as it implies, not a lot enough to have it show Delicious. up. Um, yeah, just kind of that like that note, that like freshly baked bread note, but it's like a darker bread. It's like a multi-grain bread. It's there's more going on there than just like a, a loaf of white bread, if you will. So um, this this is awesome. This is delicious. Dang. Yeah, and this this beer itself, it's not. I mean, it's not dark, right? I can't say that it's dark uh, like a stout would be, but no, it. It's got more color than most of the beers we bring on to the show or, or maybe more darkness. But once you hold it up, like if you get it in the light, um, I can see that amber color coming through as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's you, a beautiful looking beer. Yeah. I know we're going we're gonna to talk about malts heavily later on in the show, but uh, Harrison, can you kind of break down maybe if, if I made this beer with a, with a lighter malt, maybe one that wasn't roasted as dark, what, would that just change the color for me? Or how does that play into the way it works on flavor as well? If you use like, yeah, lighter or just less um, specialty malt, probably like 
we will talk about this. We can kind of start now, though, that that there is changing the grain bill on a beer is like, you know, changing the degree of a ship's heading by like a half a degree. Like you're, you know, it could you know, end up in the Pacific or, you know, end up in Panama. Uh, if you're a hundred miles away from, you know, your destination, just that one adjustment will send you so, so far, you know, far on a, on a different course. So that's what malt does. And the, the, the kind of role it plays in a beer is you change a couple little things. I'm talking like, you know, five or 10 pounds in a thousand pound batch, a thousand pound, uh, you know, grain bill, you take five or 10 pounds of especially malt away and it's going to totally change how that, that beer works. So it's like a percent, you know, so it really, and what it tastes like and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, so if you took away like some of the, like the crystal malt or the Vienna malt or the, these, these slightly darker, more longer roasted, different kiln malts that add color and add some of those bread notes or tasting away from this and replace it with just like a British pale malt, it would lighten up the body and it would totally change the the flavor of it. It's really, I mean, I, as someone who, you know, brewed as long as I, I did, uh, it's it really becomes apparent when you're obviously dropping grain into a huge mill and that is going to become a beer that thousands of people drink you obviously want to get it correct. And it was, you know, drilled into us early on that like, you know, not a pound more of this. If you like, do you know, not even like a gram more of this, like do not add more victory malt. Do not do it. If we run out of it or run out of another, especially malt, don't compensate it with victory malt. Just come to me and I'll tell you what to do. Um, what's the, I remember that would happen sometimes you'd run out of a certain, especially malt and a beer be coming up and what's the move. And it was, rarely if ever add more specialty grains because they just so become so powerful so quickly um in uh in a beer um so yeah it changed a lot that's um i the the way you answered that um almost makes me think of of brewing a beer is like working in a bakery um in 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 like obviously don't don't substitute salt for sugar or you don't have a bakery anymore (laughs) but um but it, it, it leaves me and then I'll, I'll lay off malt and then I know I want to go to untapped and like kind of talk about this beer a little bit more. But I feel like and maybe it's just the friends that I hang out with, but malt is kind of spo- like, oh, that's a real malty beer or a malt right, bomb. Like right, right, people right. people get excited when you double dry hop with a hop that no one can sure. pronounce. No one really gets excited about biscuit malt and a perfect pH balance from enough acidulated malt. Like no one ever talks about malt, but it's really important to the way this beer tastes. Like, do you, this is a speculative question, but do you have any ideas to why malt is, isn't the hero that hops are? That's probably just, I mean, in the, you know, U S and now all over the world, just, it's kind of the, the hops, the hops reign supreme currently. It's just exciting. And there is a lot of innovation there. And, you know, if you're not trying that next hazy IPA, then you're missing out on something probably. And I don't, I don't know if it's, uh, uh, it's also, um, you know, it's much, I would argue that, um, in general, it's easier to like perceive a lot of flavors from a quadruple dry hop beer there's a lot of stuff going on in there that attacks your tongue with that bitterness that you're kind of like forced to taste almost whereas malt is a much more nuanced experience and um uh and and so maybe it's just not as exciting right now to a lot of people um 
but for me, I know for you, like, you know, if you're, if you're a huge stout fan, like we're probably saying nonsense, right? You're probably a huge malt. You are a huge malt <laughs> true, fan. If you, true. you know, if you're, if you love stouts, you may just not know it yet. Um, and it's also right. It's uh, probably just like good old fashioned marketing. Like hops have cool names, Malt has names like, you know, Crystal 20 Lovabond, which doesn't mean anything. It sounds like a science experiment that, like, I got to work to understand. So maybe there's, like, a slight barrier to entry there where you're like, I don't I don't know what this means. I don't need to learn the color spectrum. I'll just drink this pure and move on. True. From a marketing perspective, any of you uh, malters out there that may be listening Give me a brownie malt. Give me a, a oh, chocolate blondie right. malt. Like, right. that, that, that's a trend I want in my beers as well. I know. And that's the, the funny thing about that is there is a malt called chocolate malt, but it's it's kind of like the whole Greenland Iceland thing. Greenland's covered in ice. Iceland's covered in the green stuff. Chocolate malt tastes like caramel. And caramel malts can taste like chocolate. So there's even like <laughs> chocolate malt that could be your, you know, right. The, the, the entry to malts excite everybody. You tell someone chocolate malt and they taste it and they're like, this doesn't taste like chocolate and you've lost them again. So yep. yeah, they're not, yeah, nothing, not doing any, any advantage, no favors there um, in enticing people in with easily agreeable things like chocolate, even like on cool chocolate. hop. Like we had Paul from the virtual festival, Paul mm-hmm. Pignan's here from decadent ales. And I was amazed when he said that all yeah. the chocolate flavor in his beer came from malt. I mean, yeah, that's unreal. That it was so was fudgy. Incredible. Yes. It, it was so fudgy. And there must be, uh, I think there was some lactose in there too, which will like add to the body of a few uses. Cause there are especially malts, um, like uh, some of uh, some brown malts and some caramel malts, and uh, I even think black patent, which is a kind of darker malt in like the right amount, combined with some other specialty malts, can create that that fudge-like flavor or that. But like, I think what for me with that beer, what did it was that it was so the it was so fudgy, like the consistency of it too made my brain go like, what in the world? Yes. Am I drinking? This tastes like liquid brownie batter, uh, which was amazing. It was such a wild experience. Um, but yeah, he's yeah, he, that's a malt master. That's a guy who gets it and is like, you know, in his world there, just just making magical malt concoctions. So good on him. Keep doing it, please. Now I just want to keep talking about chocolate malt beers and putting ice cream in your beers. Exactly. But, See, there we um, go. <laughs> but we're on Untapped and we're drinking Green Man's ESB. And I know, Harrison, you've had some friends that have checked into this beer. Um, any of them stand out to you? Uh, um, I, I've got my kind of friend's feed pulled up. Yeah. So I'll begin uh, with the first one. Maybe we always record when I'm hungry. Honestly, I think I'm always hungry. But <laughs> yeah. a friend of mine from about a year ago, Jason, checked into this Green Man ESB at uh, a venue called the Boundary House, and he he, he gave it a rating, um, but he didn't give it a comment, so I can't really elaborate on what he thought of the taste. But what was really cool is, like, you can tell he's in a restaurant or a bar. He's got like a plate of food behind it and the check-in photo and stuff. Yep. And yep. Um, okay, so I'm hungry and I miss going out. Um, but I always think it's cool to kind of go back in time a year, two years and see what friends had. And and he was drinking it in North Carolina, which is kind of cool to see. What about you, Harrison? 
Yeah, a couple of people. I know Ian Ian uh, Maddox had a uh, man almost uh, a little more than a year ago now had a nitro version of it, which is pretty cool. Um, wow. at actual yeah, Green Man at the brewery itself at their Green Mansion um, location, which is pretty cool. Um, and then a lot of people kind of saying you know, similar to brown ales they've had and you know a solid ESB things like that, which it is. It's 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 great. Like it's it's exactly what you want in this style. But you can kind of tell that, as we were just discussing, like the world of malts can be blended with, for a lot of people, kind of taste similar um, flavors in a lot of different beers uh, on the malt side of things. And so it was pretty evident in my my recent uh, friend activity feed on Untap. But everyone's loving it and uh, and really enjoying it. And it, yeah, it's this is this is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it rates. It's got almost 50,000 check-ins. It holds uh, above three and a half. It's 3.69 yeah. on Untapped. And I do see, it, it seems like in a quick kind of scroll through recent check-ins, uh, people generally comment more, uh, I, I like it better on draft. I've seen uh, uh, some yeah, sort of comment about get, ah, maybe all beers better on draft. We'll cover that when we get mm-hmm. to packaging and beer 101, I'm sure. Yep. Um, another thing I hadn't planned on talking about was first check-ins. I've said I've had this before. My first check-in to this beer was April, 2015, nice. um, wow. which was the first time I earned the North Carolina beer month badge way back uh, when man, April. And I have yet to have it on untapped. So I've got a, this'll be it. This'll be, be a good badge all hopefully today. This guy. Oh man, going back to 2015, like when I would check in and I would earn, like I remember like sharing those out manually to Facebook or Instagram and saying, like, scored a three badger on this one. Now right. I, now it's a little bit easier uh-huh. to get three badges and you know, you just up it, right? If I can get six badges, that's impressive. I think you could probably even plan things out to get maybe even seven or more now. Sure. Just wait till New Brew Thursday, people. <laughs> the badge that never ends uh, right. <laughs> I've been, i'll be working on that one forever i know um good all of us together well anyways harrison now sounds like a good time for a climb oh that's right we got one beer on us some liquid curd to take this mountain and and summit it we're heading back heading back to mount Beermore, ladies and gentlemen it's been a hot minute since we've looked on these these glorious beers we've we've chosen in the past to kind of highlight what's made our beer journey unique and uh, and kind of defined it um and excited to hop some new ones up there today this is gonna be great yeah for a recap so far on my own mount beer i've got founders all day and mm. i think that's the beer i've actually checked in the most too yeah um and saranax nitro disruption which was i'll credit it as the beer that introduced me to nitro beers or at least can nitro yep. beers uh yep. what's on yours harry that's right i got allagash white and sierra nevada's pale ale so far those are i mean saranax disruption isn't even you can't even find that anymore i wish i had more of an iconic beer on uh, there but so far that's a really good list if yeah. i can if i can say so myself uh, even yes, though it's you half can. mine you can it's happening um so <laughs> we're in um and uh what what i'm putting on is my third mount beer more for season three who knows what's going to happen in season four do we just put more faces on them we'll get there um <laughs> but three of four so far for the year and i'm going to do franz Scanner's uh Ooh. wheat beer which 
Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear your remark of approval on that, Harrison. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For me, I'll equate a lot of beers as like my intro to craft, but I think this was the one that really turned the page for me. I'd gotten a job early on in my life um, Mm -hmm. doing valet for a hotel in Buffalo. And across the street from the bar was uh, across the street from the hotel was this bar Century Grill, which was just it was iconic. It looked like walking into Cheers. <laughs> and I would when someone would say, oh, where's a good place to go? I would send them to Century Grill because it was. But also the bartender, Adam, there knew. Um, so when I would come in, he would usually cover my first beer for me, which we became really good friends. But my first interaction with him after work, a couple of guys from work over, well, let's go to Century, we'll have a pint. And we walk in and it's like my first time going to like a big city bar, not right. using, I should say, using a real ID. Um, yeah. And so I sit down and Adam comes up and he's just smooth as all get up, this professional bartender. What can I get for you, man? And I, I have no idea. I usually order Bud Light. That's what I grew up drinking. Um, so I said, I'll, I'll have a Bud Light. And his eyebrows contort. Uh, and he looks at me with this gross disapproval. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, I don't, I don't think you want to do that. And I said, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what else to get. There's right. some cool handles there. Maybe that one. And he goes, how about a Franza Sconer? And I said, yeah, sure. That sounds neat to say. Um, So for two years, I ended up going to Century Grill often after work and drinking Franziskaner with Adam. And eventually he would kind of peel me away and I would try a new beer. Um, But he was was an outstanding bartender. And I don't know if he knew it at the time, but he really helped me understand what it's like to go out and have a good beer. So thanks, Adam, Uh, if you're listening. Yes. How about you, Harrison? Yeah, that's a great story, John, and that's an amazing beer. It's one that I came across a lot uh, in Philadelphia. It seemed to be almost everywhere, and one that I remember the first time I had it, too, being kind of blown away by just how delicious delicious it was. And the German water, it tastes different, which we can talk about on the water episode. But, you're right, you're um, right. But the car- the carbonation in there was – everything about that beer was different to me then. Let's be honest. It, it wasn't a Bud Light, but, uh, but it yeah. It was good. It was good. I know. It, it's amazing. For me, if you didn't catch the Easter eggs earlier, uh, I'm adding Old Chub, Oscar Blues, Old Chub, their Scotch Ale, to my Mount Beer more. And this was, you know, so one of the, one of the first beers, and I've, I've kind of shared this story before, one of the first beers I ever brewed on a homebrew system with a, a bunch of guys who have been, basically had like a, a nano brewery in their garage, Um uh, was uh, one of the first ones. The first one, one of the first ones, was a, a Scotch ale that was amazing. I'd never heard of the style before. Never had one. Didn't know much about it. Brewed it. Tried some of his that he had brewed another batch of recently that he had on tap. The, the guy Tom uh, Mick, who I learned from, uh, had some of his his other Scotch ale. It was um, delicious. Immediately was like, holy cow! This kind of there's like whiskey notes happening in here. It's dark like a porter. It's it was just this whole new world where I, you know, all of a sudden dark beer was not just a stout or a porter. It could be, or the you know, Newcastle Brown Ale. It was something else. It became this other thing, right? Yeah, it had like a whole other dimension to it. Um, and so like I had a heck of a day, great brew day, made the beer. And then like I realized probably that a day or so later, like, holy cow, you know, this beer is going to be ready in three weeks and now all, now all I want to do is drink scotch ales. What do I do? Like, where do I go and get a scotch ale now? How can I kind of fulfill that, this uh, this want I have now of drinking more of this awesome beer I just discovered? And so I went to 
a local bottle shop, a deli, um, no longer exists, unfortunately, that had like walls of coolers full of beer and built a six pack, a mix of six from it um, and got Old Chubb, uh, Old Orkney's Skull Splitter, which is another Scotch Ale, then Great Divides, Claymore, which is their uh, Scotch Ale. So like amazing ones. So just kind of ran the gamut and they're all great. And, and easily any one of them could have made it on this list today. I just remember it must, it might've been, I might've also gotten a six pack old chub. I definitely had a lot of it the first time I had it. Um, maybe I just went all in the six pack, but I just remember drinking that beer, how smooth it was. There was something kind of different about it. It was a cold, like winter night. Uh, the ABV kind of snuck up on me. It was just like a nice memory tied to that beer. As we've kind of spoken about a lot on, on drinking socially of just how it's, it's not just about the beer. It's about, as you just said, with the, you know, the, the, the bar across where you used to work, it's, it's that, that story that goes with it. Nice night. I was watching crawl. The cult classic crawl was on in the background as I kind of drank old chub quickly, like I would a, a light lager. Cause I still had the, the cult classic. That's right, that's right. The cult classic. Um, uh, yeah, no, no qualifying. No, yeah, no, if you say it, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Didn't make that eighties best of eighties movie list earlier. I don't know how. <laughs> we'll have to but, talk um, to Kevin, <laughs> but you know, it was cold out. It was warming me up. I was drinking it quicker than I should have. Cause I was still had that, that mentality of every beer is a 4% light beer in my head. Yeah. It gets conditioned to you in college. Um, it was just great. It was a really delicious beer. I loved it. Um, and that six pack really, really flew away and it and, uh, went right down uh, pretty smoothly. So, um, and, you know, and obviously I had our beer a couple weeks later and it was great, but it just kind of started that whole, just a whole light bulb went off of, again, dark beers are, there's something exciting here and there's dimensions to them and there's lots to be learned. And if you can pick that out, if you can sit there and go, well, this is why this brown ale is different than a this, you know, ESB and this, even you can't articulate it, but you can kind of taste like, what flavors are more present or where they land on your tongue or, or how it's all kind of making you feel there's excitement there much like it would be with, you know, what kind of dry hop is this and, and all that stuff. I find it there. I find it in yeast. Every part about beer. So we're kind of hearing um, it's all got its own fascinating world that is kind of unlocked when you, you dive deeper into it. And old chub was for me for dark beers, old chub was that beer that kind of just made me want to learn more about them and keep going and, Help me discover things like old Rasputin, which we've done before on the show, and um, and um, Doppelbox, and just kind of seeing what else was out there. That whole world of dark beer uh, was kind of unknown to me, and Old Chub opened it up, and so it, it easily gets on my my Mount Beer more for for that alone. Yeah, that's that that's a good uh, beer. Every time you add one to yours, I get sad that it's not on mine, but <laughs> I think. Um, Unlike the real Mount Rushmore uh, that we kind of base the idea on, my hope for Mount Beermore and your own, if you're listening, Mount Beermore, is that it's just it's an opportunity to remind yourself on where you are in in your craft beer mm-hmm. portfolio experience, where you are right now, where you were before, and undoubtedly uh, in two years you may look back and, and and realize that you know a different beer changed your life but it, I, I like the I like paying homage to the the ones that got us where we are today sure yeah it's it's something we rarely do it, overall as humans I think take a moment to look back and kind of see like where that first ripple was where the stone landed in the lake that got us to you know where we are now and 
and it's tough, hard, it's hard to do for a lot of things. It's hard to be like, how did I get to this job? Why do I live in this state? How did I get to, you know, where I am? Um, a lot of that stuff's tough to track. Um, fortunate that beer alone and of itself, um, seems to be easier, but then of course it's untapped. You jump on there and you're like, oh, this is the actual night I had it. And there's crawl in the background of my check-in of this beer. <laughs> like it's all, and then it all floods back to you. Why do we have that horrible plant in the corner? What light is ancient? Who put those curtains up? Like all these other, you know, things come back and you laugh about what was. So love that part of untapped, the visual component. I, you know, I used to be not a big photo taker, but with, I do now, especially with the beers, I feel like it just jogs that memory and you go right back to that, that place. Um, visually, it's much easier. Totally. I felt like I learned about untapped late. It, it had already existed for five years or so when I started using it, but, uh, time goes by really fast. So, right. um, That's right. so, That's right. you, you know, check in, it, it's a go and, and occasionally, log into untapped and go back and look through some of your earlier check-ins. If you're feeling nostalgic, it, it can be, I see like photos of Ashley when she was my girlfriend and we're drinking right. beers together or right. I haven't found right. any crawl yet, but um, <laughs> if you go deep enough, everyone has a crawl picture deep enough. <laughs> it's John, a cult classic. <laughs> and speaking of cult classics, no one uh, is more of a, now, no, we're going to get to an ad break here. Um, <laughs> Coming up for the untapped store. Um, there's a coupon code in there. If you feel like buying yourself some nice merch to treat yourself, prettify, beautify your untapped check-ins, um, check out the store, use a coupon code, save a few bucks, uh, but it's also a cool way to let them know that you're listening. And we'll be right back with Harrison bringing in beer number two for episode 14. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, more. Depending on how hot or cold you are, go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast when you check out. That'll get 20% off anything you order. That's store.untapped.com. Use the coupon code podcast, 20% off for you. Plus, it lets them know that you guys are listening and we love that here. All right. Wonderful. Well, here we go. We're going to jump right into beer number two. I'm excited about it. It is Fat Tire from New Belgium Brewing Company, of course. Um, they are defining it as a, an amber ale, 5.2% ABV, 22 IBUs. And from New Belgium themselves, Fat Tire Amber is the easy drinking amber ale born in Colorado Belgian Brewing Company, um, and it actually lists, which is pretty cool, uh, what is in it. So for the homebrew fans out there, for the this beer super fans out there like us, easy to look in here and see what makes this beer taste the way it does, using some great hops, some great malt, a lot of pale malt, C80, which is like caramel 80. 80 is the, on a scale, uh, denotes the darkness or lightness of it. So it kind of lands, I think you can, you can go as high as like 300, which is just black, dark dark stuff but um uh c80 nice kind of amberish color munich and victory which are two malts we'll talk about today a lot and then willamette goldings and nugget in here but this beer as the rest of today is about the malt more than the hops so let's get in here and john's already in sorry man i uh Good. i wanted to Good. i wanted to give you some time to pour your beer so i figured i'd pour mine first Smart. beautifully 
Um, this is gorgeous, right? This is this is exactly yeah. what I think of when I think of an amber ale. Ooh, much um, lighter. Like yeah. I can I can pretty much read my untapped check in through this beer. Uh, it's just a little sepia. It's like making an old fashioned film. Yeah. This is probably the fourth iteration of Fat Tire's label that I've sure. drank this beer from, but yep. it's one I don't expect to last long in the glass. We probably should have got two of them. I know. It's going to go down quick. <laughs> Was it Maori Mobster? You were right by a four That's pack. right. I know. Right. <laughs> we listen, but we don't learn. Oh, man. <laughs> but let's let's dive into this. This this is a, this is a classic. <laughs> Unlike Tr- Crawl. Truly. Debatable. Th- th- this is not a cult classic. This is an actual classic. Ooh, man. It smells like, I mean, sorry. It smells like beer, though. It smells like sure. beer. Like, like it's, it smells like playing kickball with adults and not wanting to run that fast. <laughs> <laughs> I think it smells like sliding into, like, you know, first base like an idiot. Is this your first time here? You slide into first? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's. It's interesting. It, it's not the same style as the Green Man's ESB, and it's it's kind of close. Definitely much lighter, like lighter on the mouthfeel. It's bubbly. You can see right through it. Um, and it's yeah, it's 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 like right. It's 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 got like a toasted note, and then it's very crisp and clean. Um, and there is more malt presence here than I'm getting. Yeah, they use. Um, you, you read the ingredients. They use an ale yeast in this. Sure. Um, and I'm I'm I, I'm not gonna even gonna pretend I'm a yeast expert, but when I drink, <laughs> if I drank this with my eyes closed, oh. it would I'd really really have to like sit down and focus on it to tell you that this was like a dark a, a red ale. Um, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose if I drank it right next to a light lager, I could tell the difference. But this is just this is so clean. If you look at Fat Tire and you think like that's not a poolside beer, I would challenge you drink this by the pool and you'd probably oh, yeah. change your mind. I know. For me, this was kind of like a, an early on a white whale, kind of like if you lived on yes. the East Coast, this is a beer that everybody talked about, kind of like everyone on the West Coast talks about like Yingling or whatever. Like it was this beer that every you wanted but could never find. And, and I remember like for a while, every airport I went into, every airport bar had a fat tire like uh neon sign in the behind it and i go in there and be like can i can i have one oh, we don't have it like ah just someone really well right just <laughs> yeah. a, really someone at fat tire killed it with the the marketing years ago um you got those things all over the place but uh yeah so i i swung out forever and then it was released it came to the philadelphia market and i was so excited about it and I remember going to a bar and having my actually i think i got a six pack of it first just had it at the house and being like, oh, I get it. Like it's 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 a it's exciting in the way that like a great grilled cheese is exciting, or a cheeseburger, or like that thing that you love that it's not going to be the, your anniversary dinner with your wife, but it's going to be the thing where you're like, maybe it is sometimes, yeah. but uh, right, <laughs> we'll see. Fiftieth anniversary, right, yes, exactly. not your first. Right, right. <laughs> good, good point. Um, but uh, but it's it's just it's great. Like it's 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 a poolside beer. It's an everyday drinker. It's probably like the maybe the perfect airport beer where you could you know have one at ten in the morning or ten at night and whatever. Like it's not gonna knock you backwards and mess your whole day up, um, but actually give you some flavor and something something enjoyable. Um, 
so Man, true. this thing is it's 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 great. Your really com- is. your comparison to Yingling, which I, just to just to prevent us from having to issue in a correction, would be an East Coast thing. Um, right. But your comparison to Yingling, I think, is spot on. Like I I remember my I grew up really close to the Pennsylvania border, and like as as I aged, my Pennsylvania friends would just never shut up about Yingling, Yingling, sure. and you would think it was like the fountain of youth. It's a, it's good. <laughs> Um, but like it, everybody talked about Yingling like it was this unobtainium right. uh, sci-fi reference. Right. But there you go. Uh, and it, uh, as I just as I just said, it is a great beer. But Fat Tires, I think, uh, a, a reasonable equivalent to that. Yep. Um, what's cool about it is that you see beers like like Fat Tire pop up, which are almost a national brand now. Sure. But at the time, those were like those were a source of pride, and especially with New Belgium, they were for the longest time like really green. They were, I think, each employee was like a shareholder or employee-owned yep. co-op sure. type. Oh, yeah. I mean, that yeah. was a beautiful. You should be proud of that. Yeah, employee-owned company for many many years, and uh, yeah, but yeah, it was yeah, it was kind of right. It was just that one of those beers that wasn't around nationally yet, and if you you know people that on the other side of the country that could get it would brag about it all the time. You have to sit at home and go. Woohoo! I wish I was there. Yep. So pump, pump that we can kind of. I mean, it, it's almost. I think it's in. I think it's in every state in the U.S. now, and a lot of places overseas. I mean, when you look at it on Untapped, you're getting check-ins, you know, all over the world uh, from this beer. That's as it should be. I mean, it, this is one of the beers that you should kind of is a great flagship for American craft beer and what it's all about, um, and where it's been, and again, how good it is. I mean, we. You know, if you listen to the podcast before, you know, I can talk all day about how great Sierra Nevada is. And that the, one of the things I think that makes them great is how consistent they are. And the same thing can be said about New Belgium, that like these beers they make, it tastes the same time, same every time you have it. Um, and that's, yeah. that's impressive. And it's, again, this is a very straightforward beer. There's nothing to hide behind. There, this you. is a well-made beer. It has to be really well-made and um, uh, in order to, tastes as good as it does you can't hide behind a wall of hops or some crazy yeast that you know it's supposed to taste like sour patch kids like all that stuff is not here um it's just a straightforward beer drinkers beer if, if you will um uh which i am um but uh but yeah it's it's awesome they did a new rebrand too um cans look great bottle looks great but it's uh yeah it's one that, again it's it was I'm pumped I was excited the first time I had it and, and like instantly kind of got it got like right, like you said John it wasn't this unobtainium it was like oh this is your comfort beer this is your this is your every football game beer this is your happy place beer yeah um and if now you're looking I for strawberry raspberry lactose milkshake this isn't the beer that you'll find but. <laughs> Uh, but if you do find a fat tire, uh, I think there's there's as Harrison alluded to, like there you have to be so on par with your with your metrics to build yeah. a beer as simple as this. Like like yep. y- your your illusion was perfect, where you can't hide, you can't just throw a whole bunch of apple pie in there and hide behind. And I'm not knocking apple right. pie brewers; sure. I love them. But to do something simple, to cook a dinner with four ingredients is a lot harder than cooking a dinner with a whole pantry. That right. analogy probably applies, but I think yeah, it's, it it's does. meritorious yeah. that you bring that up. If you drink this beer, you're not going to get uh, a super cutting edge, trendy lemonade or anything like that, but you're going to get a taste of arguably perfection or really close to it. 
Yeah, there's really, as it kind of warms up a slightly, there's like this, it finishes in almost like a a honey note that goes into a fruity note coming from the hops. Uh, it's like, it, it's like a, it almost feels like when you're breathing in like a deep forest after a rain, John, there's like something very evergreeny about it that's kind of exciting. Uh, it's very slight, It's it's but it's, as I just finished it there, it almost felt like uh, I was just kind of smelling the morning dew somewhere. I wish we uh, had in an, an old growth forest <laughs> for this podcast to like just draw Harrison in the woods, smelling mm-hmm. in his his beer. Just, but right. I didn't I didn't realize it until you said it, but that honey transitioning into mm. fruit, like like honey has, it's a very uh, umami e sweetness right. to it where there's like there's a base kind of guttural sweetness that comes with honey in like i didn't know it was in this beer until you mentioned it and when you did my next sip i was like oh my god there it is <laughs> inception yeah no but, but it yeah it's it's there it's 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 jumping out oh man it's just it's almost like you know right we wish we had more of them to kind of take time and enjoy because it's so easy to drink through relatively quickly um sitting with it for a bit though as we'll all start to do now um it's it's giving me even more of an experience as it it warms up. It opens up a little bit. And to our point, as I look on Untapped here, I can tell Harrison's been drinking. I'm it. burping, he's, and here we go. It's all the, happening. The situation, making, right? Making room for more. Excuse me. Um, the uh, so Fat Tire's been checked in more than a million times by half a million, half more than half a million people. Uh, I've had it on Untapped five times, which seems low, but I'll, I'll take it. And as of recording this, the most recent check-in from Jeff. Checking into Untapped at Home says, used to really enjoy this back in the day. So he's doing the same thing we are, of kind of revisiting a beer that it has some memories for him. And it's easy to do, and it's easy to, to do that with this beer. Man, go into Untapped. The, the, if you go to the beer page on Untapped, and I'll admit I use Untapped on a desktop as much as I do on my cell phone. But if yep. you go to the beer page, the loyal drinker is an Untapped user named GLL. But 748 mm-hmm. times they've checked into Fat Tire. Um, that's that's a commitment. You can see they've done like whiskey barrel aged and uh, Fat Tire on Amarillo. They did a Funk Tire. So it's cool to kind yeah. of see some of those uh, other variants listed <clears throat> on the page mm-hmm. from New Belgium. That's right. And the check-ins. Um, this is re- uh, I'm looking at a, a picture from Amy who checked into this just a few hours ago as we're recording. And she doesn't have a picture of the beer, but she does have a picture of her beautiful pup on a beach. And I'm led to assume she's drinking the beer there as well. Which is just, <laughs> I mean, that's Amy, you're having a great day. Love it. And when I look at my friend feed, uh, let me see. Monica Gleed, she had fat tire. What was that? Probably yeah, about earlier in the, the month of June. And in her check-in, um, had an untapped Tiku glass. Sick pick. Um, had uh, it says Fat Tire Friday, which used to be, I think it was a badge for a little bit untapped, and it was a thing that Fat Tire used to do all the time, as a kind of like a promotion to some of their accounts of like Fat Tire Friday, you know, five dollar Fat Tires all day or whatever it, it was based on where you had it. But that that brought back even more memories. I remember that that was a that was I think part of their launch in Philadelphia was like if you carry us, we're gonna do Fat Tire Fridays all around the city to help promote the brand and yada yada yada. And that was kind of like that whole summer was. Where are we going to get fat? T- it's Friday. Let's go get started off with the fat tire this weekend. Kip's 
uh, an untapped friend of mine, Kip D, is doing even better. He's checking into the Marriott in Nashville. Sorry, Kip, if I'm if I'm blowing up your spot, but um, <laughs> my bad. Uh, Kip says in his check-in, two for free hotel beer. Uh, hard to believe this is my first fat tire check-in. Cheers, everyone. Uh, that's that's awesome. Uh, on occasion, yeah. I would get like a cookie when I checked in, or usually like right. the pin, the Milo, the Milo pint, the pillow mint. <laughs> Hello, um, yes. putting, putting a beer in my room is a great way to make sure that I become a strong brand ambassador right. for your hotel I, chain. Yeah, I wonder if that you know, just that that fridge didn't get cleaned out in between <laughs> visitors and kind of you know ah, leave behind Holy for the cow. next visitor. Raise your hand if you've ever left a beers in your hotel sure. room after you sure. realize you can't bring them home with you. I was gonna say right, not going on the plane. So whatever, the rest of this six pack is is someone's lucky day. Yep, there it goes. Yep. Go out to dinner and they're like, oh, do you want to take it home? I, I'm living in a hotel tonight. I won't. Right. I'll take it home. <laughs> I may it eat it. I'm just going to bed and then I'm going to work in the morning. But right. I, there may be a chance I eat it. I'm probably going right. to end up throwing That's it right. away and feel I'll terrible probably, about it. Probably yeah, forget it on top of the fridge and then want it tomorrow morning. But it's, <laughs> it'll be bad by then. That's I'll still yeah, eat yeah. it. I'll eat right. it on the way to the airport. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Put it in the bag. You got it. You got any mints? Uh, I know. Um, uh, airport. I don't. I don't want to detract, but you, I, I wanted to bring this up, and I'm, I'm just going to interject and do it. You mentioned drinking this in an airport. I think that's yeah. a good. That's a good question to poise. What's What's your airport beer? Ooh. And it also leads into maybe a this romantic one. finish for season three. Probably not. But wouldn't it be cool if we finished the season at Chicken and Beer at the Atlanta airport? <sighs> that's right. Uh, which is still holding so many- strong. Right. Yeah. Amazing place for. For badge, undrinking socially badge unlocks. They're just they're crushing it there. Um, good on you guys. Clearly some killer beer, if I do say so myself. Um, but yeah, that would be. I mean, we got to. You're right, John. Or maybe we're revealing behind the curtain. But that's a good. We got to do that. We got to get there someday. You heard it here first, but don't hold us to it because yeah, going to don't. the Atlanta airport just to drink a beer. I don't know if. <laughs> It sounds expensive. I I, it sounds like I at least need TSA pre-check or a flight, right. maybe. So right, maybe we could, not, though, God, we could do that. We could fly to Atlanta and then fly back. Can we just can just we green screen chicken and beer? Like grab a photo from an untapped check-in and and probably use like could. Greg's green screen from the fest. Anyways, that's right. Probably could. There are possibilities <laughs> there. Technology, amazing. We'll see what happens. So we'll see. We'll see where a seed has has been planted today. We'll see what comes of it. Arison is a is a forest of seedlings uh, of wisping will. Hey, do you want to talk about them. malt? Are you, smell are you, them all in here. Yeah, let's do that. That's right. We're, let's get into the beer one hundred and one section of this and actually start 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 hashing some stuff out. That's a great idea, John. Let's do it. This is the hop we did. So we did uh, this beer one hundred and one. Is this is part two of an arbitrary ten part series. Um, the last season was uh, sorry. <laughs> last episode. <laughs> Was hops, and Harrison and I, uh, I we kind Harrison did most of the educating, and I asked him questions about hops, uh, and it was well received. We got great feedback from those of you that sent in emails, uh, sent them to podcast at Untab. We'll put all the links in the show notes, but emails, Facebook questions. It was outstanding to hear people's feedback, and uh, and we have at our disposal Harrison, who who's who's who, who spent his early formative years mm. <laughs> grinding 
working day and night to learn everything there is about brewing. And as soon as you turn your back, you know, the, the sport moves on without you. But right. Right. Um, I think I think it's incredibly valuable to have you here on the podcast and be able to share some of that knowledge so that when the next young John Dispenza walks into Century Grill, you can't, it's closed. Right. But when the next one, <laughs> you understand when, when, when Adam, the bartender, says we don't have that beer, uh, you're educated and you can answer some some intro questions about malt. And if I know Harrison, he's going to get into the 300 uh, levels as well. Ra- we'll start rambling, rambling right into the yeah, the 300 level classes. That's right, John. But we'll so, try to try try not to. We'll see what happens. Let's start with 101 Brewing 101 Section Two Malt. <laughs> Harrison, most of our listeners at this point know that beer generally equals a combination of water, hops, malt, and yeast. So let's start at the beginning. Can you give us a little history on how malt found its way into beer as we know it today? Sure, yeah. So dating like the, the like the starting point of malted barley or malt, as we can call it today, um, it's impossible. Kind of all over the ancient world historians and archaeologists have found different jugs full of beer and malted barley and storage rooms for malted barley and things like that um all over from egypt to asia mesopotamia all over the world um but really kind of some of the more concrete stuff you start to see a written record of started about four thousand plus years ago in egypt um where they kind of had like a system in place for for malting barley to to make beer. Um, before that, though, you were using honey and, and other other um, other sources of fermentable sugars. That's the goal here, and why we're using barley today, and why it really took off is it's an easy source for to create sugars that are fermentable by uh, by yeast. And you know, um, some historians argue that like a real driver for modern civilization as we know it, like towns and cities and houses and, and things like that uh, happened because of beer, you know, tribes that were nomadic needing to settle down in one place to plant their grain, to make more beer um, tough to be roaming around and, you know, chasing bully mammoths. If you also want to have alcoholic beverages. So um, interestingly enough, according to some pretty well-known historians, that's kind of what, what caused a lot of people to settle down, not just for beer, but obviously once you kind of discover you can grow and harvest grain, it, it can feed you too. Um, but beer is a, a really big part of culture, you know, um, ancient religions, all that stuff. Um, beer was a center center point of it and another as wine was too um really the name spirits comes from like the early days and spontaneous fermentation where you know some wet grain would you know fall in a bucket someone would drink it the goat would drink it the goat would be flopping around all over drunk and you're like hey that guy likes having a blast what's what's he drinking <laughs> and you know the first happy hour is born so um <laughs> so you know um because it was it seemed as magic it seemed kind of like this mysterious thing people didn't really understand what was happening and then they did, and really, again, the Egyptians are kind of the first to really identify that and create a system that we know anyway to, of actually germinating and, and malting grain and uh, to the end of, of making uh, of making beer itself. Um, and then, you know, it, it grew through the 1500s and so uh, to now where you're using things like corn and other grains to based on where you are in the world and what's available or what you can plant based on the soil. 
Um, uh, you can make beer out of a, a lot of different uh, cereal grains, which is what brewers kind of refer to all the grains you can put in a beer uh, that'll actually do something. So, um, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Not all malt is just like two row barley. It can be right. other cereal grains. Yeah. You mentioned uh, sugars a lot. Um, can, so, which obviously is, is helpful in, in making alcohol. Um, yeah. When we cover fermentation later on, when it, um, when it comes to malting barley, can you kind of help me understand like what's what's the di- why is that important? Why can't I just like grab the barley and throw right. it in and make beer? Sure, sure, and yeah, and, and a lot of it is that the the moisture of the water would um, help, and then opening that up into the air and air drying this stuff would create cause germination to happen, which would change kind of the a lot of the starches or begin that process of changing the starches that are naturally inside these grains. Um, into what would become fermentable sugars, kind of breaking them down a bit um, so that they're easier for um, for yeast to eat and then create alcohol and CO2. And this is where, yeah, again, like the historical record shows Egypt really excelling where they had a whole system of kind of malting in these sacks. They'd put in a, the water, they'd pull it out of the streams a certain height and based on like, they would even raise certain sacks, certain different heights based on like the yield they wanted out of that grain. And that you get a lot of starch and make more alcoholic stuff for less starches and sugars and maybe make a lower alcoholic options. They were doing that at like that level. They, everything was, um, and then they would get, yeah, kind of kiln dry it, put it in a, basically a big stove and, and dry it quickly that way um, so that it could be actually crushed and then. Um, and used uh, in the brewing process, but very cool records of them kind of actually doing this and having a system in someone's job or people's jobs were to, you know, germinate all this grain to the ends of making a bunch of beer for everyone to enjoy. That's okay. I love where this is going. I, a real historical. Let's fast forward a little bit where now we kind of live in a world mm. where I, I I use Untapped to check in my beers and learn right. about them, we've got uh, in, industrial revolution happen. We've, yep. we've got production. So, how is has malt? Maybe it hasn't. Let me know, and we'll skip to the next question. But how has malt right. kind of adapted and changed over the last fifty or even the last five years? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that it, it hasn't really much that recently. I, like the biggest change from kind of okay, we're we're, you know, bootstrapping this and we're making this ourselves in our town, in our city, kind of figuring it out thousands of years ago. Fast forward to the 17th century, where floor malting um, became kind of commonplace, where you would just take that same malt that was um, wet, laid down on the floor and let it air dry um, as you kind of moved it about with shovels and, and rakes and things um, and let it, let it air dry naturally that way. And that was like the only way to do it for, uh, for almost the entire uh, century um, kind of laying these steeped barley in piles on concrete floors. It would, and they kind of naturally build up heat from being stored together, being inside, begin that growth of germination. And then um, yeah, spread apart after that to allow it to aerate and, uh, and then and then germinate. So it's pretty labor intensive, but that's that's how a lot of malt houses still do it. There's there have been some modern adaptations where you have you know like obviously 
um, ventilation systems where you can control like when it's hot and when it's cold as opposed to waiting for like the nighttime or a certain time of year or that sort of thing allows them all to be produced quicker, more accuracy. You have modified malts that are kind of um, malted in a certain way to produce more fermentable sugars um, by by malting different ways that a lot of breweries will use if they're trying to get like really high ABV beers um, and, and things like that. So there are some changes, but I would argue that really for the past, since the 1800s or, you know, if not the 1600s, it's really been um, that floor malting technique has re- not changed much uh, since then. And it's what most, bre- most malt houses still do today. That's how I mean, uh, I, that's honestly, that's really surprising as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, you know, you're still using like a wooden shovel or maybe an aluminum shovel, but, right. but it, the process is still kind of the way it was for so long ago. Um, that's, yeah. that's really cool for me to yeah. think about, but yeah. let's not do sure. that. Let me ask you no, another no. question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now that we're kind of to the point where we can understand malt uh, commonly is like a malted barley, but can also include other things. So uh, now that we kind of know what malt is, uh, the term, how does malt help us make beer? How does it work? Sure. So, yeah. So after that, uh, that barley has been malted and it's ready to go, it'll be uh, de uh, well, sometimes de but um, put into a machine that'll separate it from the actual, uh, actually this happens kind of during the molding process, separate it from the, um, what it's actually growing on, like the stem and, uh, and put it in 50 pound bags usually. And that sort of your brewery. Um, and you're going to put that in a mill and crack it, crack that grain husk open so that it reveals all the starches inside it, um, that you're going to be using in the brewing process to, to actually make alcohol and that's you set those mills ahead of time. You don't want to be grinding it into like fine dust, but you want to be cracking enough of those husks and, and hulls that you're opening them up actually, so that we can uh, the yeast can down the line access the stuff they need to to make alcohol. It goes into an auger, which is basically a fancy conveyor belt, usually in the ceiling. It drops into a mash tun uh, where it meets water with a certain temperature. It's usually around like 158 degrees Fahrenheit. That's based on the recipe, though. And you start mashing that beer in by mixing the grain and the hot water and then letting it basically steep for between, you know, 30 minutes to more than an hour, again, based on the recipe. But that's that's step one to any any beer is you got to you got to mash in with all the malt you, you have now. And is that where we get the term wort? Well, maybe not the term, but effectively. Sure. Yeah. Beer is not beer until it's fermented up until that point. It's wort, W-O-R-T. So yeah, when you mash out, so you mash in by mixing all stuff together, but you obviously, you don't want to be boiling grains most of the time. Um, So you have to separate the now liquid wort from those grains and put it in your brew kettle. And uh, that's the next step. Uh, Usually, sometimes you do something called vorloffing or recirculating, which is a lot of fun, where you use the grain bed itself uh, and send the beer, the wort, excuse me, back through it. Uh, and it, it's a natural filter. So it'll help clear up that beer and make it look really nice even before you boil, even before it's actually beer. You're doing that early on in the process and then transfer it into uh, your brew kettle where you boil it and then you start adding hops and uh, and move on to the next part of the, the process. But yeah, it's... um. 
yeah, that's where you actually make it. You make that kind of sugary. It's very sweet. It's, I mean, if you ever had like wort, you would think it would be. Obviously, that sugar is going to become alcohol, and the sweetness will disappear because most of it will because of that down the line. But it's very sweet a lot of the time. Um, uh, the actual wort itself before it starts boiling. Yeah, I was going to say uh, the uh, the process of mashing in thinking about the different grains that you can use it, it I, I know that it smells amazing but it does it's effectively like you make oatmeal yeah. you know, I'm, uh, but and then you either oh, yeah. eat the oatmeal or you turn it into beer um which is kind of magical it, it, and i don't mean to to bastardize it but no, it, i know it's right. more than that but but effectively the beginning of making beer you're extracting the sweetness and the sugar from these malted Mm-hmm. grains which is in, is incredible at its core that it can be kind of simplified like that are there what other types of grains um have you used harrison or like can be sure. malted and, and used to to build up a beer's wort yeah so we would use all kinds of stuff we use a lot of wheat a lot of rye oats we would use rice and then rice we, we use rice hulls we actually never put rice in a beer but that is a common practice and then corn we had, we had a great cream ale that we used a lot of um uh man flaked corn in that was a black it was fun it was very simple to make it was mostly like Almost 100% of the grain bill was like pale malt, and there was some corn in it. It was very simple. One of our favorite beers as brewers to drink was our cream ale. Um, And making it was not the worst, but that corn, you would have to manually add it with those 50-pound bags yourself in the mash tun. It wouldn't go through the conveyor belt because it did not need to be milled. It was already um, rolled uh, as opposed to being milled. You can do that for other malts that you don't want to crack. You don't need to crack them because they already have enough protein on them or they've been torrified, which is like another way of basically heating them up to expose those grains or rolled. So you're kind of cracking them like for oats and wheat through a huge roller um, and therefore don't need to be milled. That that potential sugar is already exposed. And you can add those things. Usually later in the mash, you'll add them kind of last as you're mashing and mixing stuff up because um, it can really gum it up and really make it very oatmeal-y. What helps with that, though, um, preventing that from happening uh, so you don't get what's called a stuck mash where you've got way too much starch and sugar in there that it, none of the liquid can actually move through your mash kettle and get to the brew kettle uh, are rice hulls. So not rice, but rice if you didn't know uh doesn't grow like it looks like in the bag in the store it comes in like a tiny little hole that people have to and now machines have to separate um and so when they get separated those holes breweries get them they come in huge bags and you'll um we would have uh like probably for a brew day like three five gallon buckets two or three five gallon buckets full of rice holes that we would sprinkle in kind of throughout the um because they had no flavor there's no flavor to them there's no sugar on them it's just a simple it's just fiber um there's nothing nothing to it there's no calorie contribution at all um uh to your grain uh to your grain bill so that you the water can move through it it kind of creates these channels inside the grain that allows it to the, the wort and the water to move through it easily so you're not getting stuck with a 
a, basically a big old bowl of oatmeal that you can't move that later you have to jump in and dig out yourself and hot with gross. the giant giant brew spoons uh, are no, for right yeah right yeah <laughs> those are something different that's something totally different um we're solved for the giant jars of peanut butter at the back of each brewery that's what those spoons <laughs> are for um but this one uh yeah so uh, yeah rice hulls were a, a huge like it was if we when you run out of rice hulls which happened you'd be like great I hope today doesn't take nine hours to do a three-hour job, but it might. <laughs> um, that sound, I, I imagine anybody listening, maybe it's not rice holes, but you know what that element of your job right. is. It's like, exactly. man, if, if Gmail goes down today, is it going to take twice right. or whatever? Like, exactly. Where are the carrier pigeons? We can't yeah. get them quick enough. <laughs> my day is over. Did you receive my pigeon? I didn't get a receipt. <laughs> um, what, what about flavor? So... Mm. Anybody that's drank a beer recently will probably attribute a lot of the flavor to the hops, which we kind sure. of talked about earlier. Um, how does how does malt affect the flavor of my beer? Is it is it just like a hop? Is it? Let me stop answering the question for you. Um, <laughs> how do, how does malt alter my my beer? Right, and this is what we were talking about earlier, pointing that nose of the ship half degree one way or another, and you end up in Hawaii instead of San Francisco. So uh, and this is where malt comes in. It really, It's more than just a sequenced tracksuit. It's it's <laughs> the man running in it, and which way is he going to go? Um, malt is that man, that jazz-handy tracksuit-wearing man. Um, to be more clear, uh, most beers so like uh, are 70% or more uh, of their base malt is a simple pale malt, a you know lightly kilned or you know lightly malted grain that's pale to the touch and uh, pale in sight rather. And um, if you just added that to your beer, you'd have like a yellow beer. It wouldn't look so. In the difference between a pale ale and a stout is that like thirty percent of grain that is specialty malt. Um, so it's not a lot of that beer of that grain bill determines. Um, or rather there's, you can, again, very few changes contribute to a huge final, um, product, a huge change in a final product between again, a pale ale and a stout or an IPA and a, you know, a Belgian Saison or whatever it is you're actually consuming. It's going to be mostly the biggest kind of, um, uh, exception here is German Hefeweizens have to be 50% wheat minimum, but almost every other style, most, I mean, I would say. 70% is generous. Most are like 80% pale malt, especially a lot of the IPAs today where maybe they're more of 90% pale malt and they got some wheat and oats in there and that's it. That's your whole beer. And then the hops kind of take it the rest of the way. So, um, so yeah, again, slight changes in victory or which is a, a specialty malt that gives lots of great biscuity flavors as does Vienna malt and, and Munich. A lot of bread notes come from that, like, like freshly baked bread. If you add just a little bit more of it, it, it changes the entire beer. An example I, I, I like to give is that we brewed a pale ale uh, called John J A W N at uh, Shemini Creek, which is funny if you live around Philadelphia, but everyone else is like, okay, cool name. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, <That's accurate>. but, uh, <laughs> but, um, it was my favorite beer we made. I absolutely loved it. Uh, and it, it was like five and a half percent. You could drink it. You know, it was my after day beer almost every day. Um, but uh, we were after shift beer rather. We would. So there it was. It was about a 900 pound grain bill each time we made it. 
and we put some victory malt in it to just kind of give it a single biscuity note, kind of just bring that out slightly leading into the hop bomb that it really was. It was a double dry hop pale ale. It was amazing. Sounds it still good. is. Um, yeah. Oh man, I miss it. And, uh, and it stood for juicy ale with nuggets, J A W N. It was like an acronym for that. So there's lots of nuggets in it and hops, well as lots of other stuff. But anyway, that's a whole other silly Philadelphia center story. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, so um, of those 900 pounds of malt, this victory malt that was like, such a such a noticeable note that biscuit just kind of hits right in the front. It was only thirty pounds of it, so almost nothing. None of that grain bill was, and there was one other, especially malt. I think maybe two, but the rest was all um, all this just pale two row, pale two row uh, base malt. Um, but that, and I remember one day we kind of ran out of victory, uh, or no, ran out of one of the other specialty malts, and someone said, "Should we just add more victory?" And the head brewer was like, no, like big wide eyed kind of like four alarm fire. Like, do not add more of that. That is the perfect amount of victory for that beer. If you add more, it's going to be like you'd see in his eyes the way he was kind of describing it. Like we had just said, like, you know, uh, we lost the garbage king. Can we just throw all the garbage on the road? Like it was just like a ridiculous idea to him that we would do this stuff, um, uh, you know, and but was, was doing a good job at, at calmly explaining, like, do not do that do this instead or wait to brew it tomorrow. Or I don't remember what he actually ended up doing, but it, it kind of stuck with me of, of, of his reaction to it. And then through the years, you know, brewing more and learning more and similar other brewers, it's, it's this, especially malts, it really just changes everything. So it does not take much um, on the specialty malt side of things, completely change the experience you're having in your glass. Um, that is one example, but uh, and again, especially with the victory malt, that thing is it's powerful, and he's absolutely that's, right. Like if you're yeah, if you're a pale ale guy, thirty yeah. pounds and nine hundred. That's like three percent of your right. grain build that right. made that difference. That's incredible. Yeah. That's it. I know, and it, and it's an amazing malt, but it is extremely intense and powerful. And he was right, obviously right to say all those things. Um, but to someone <laughs> kind of starting out, it was like, oh, okay, uh, not a big uh, deal. I got this. I got it. Just throw a couple more pounds in there. Don't you so, dare. So there's, um, I'm going to diverge a little bit, but yeah. there's, um, so you got something where like 3% of your grain build can make a really big, like the difference between three to 4% can make a really big difference in your final product. Yeah. Is it that, um, simple question, air quotes, is it that similar to doing hops where like if you add, uh, let's say 10 pounds of hop, um, Per barrel, as is often quantified. What if I did eleven pounds of hop? Um, is that is that going to make as, as big of a difference subjectively as making a change to my grain build? So I would. Oh man, hops are so it's it's interesting. So hops are um, right as you kind of said earlier. Everybody loves them. Marketing and exciting, cool names. But um, as a brewer, you know that like, you know, you can swap if you run at a centennial, you can swap in like Mount Hood. That's a comparable hop that will or, or Cascade rather. It's a comparable hop uh, to uh, to Cascade. Mount Hood is um, so uh, there's lots, And that, that's almost every hop. It has like a counterpart to it, whereas it's really interesting. We have this kind of obsession in the beer world of, of hops and specific hops. And I like this one. And maybe I don't like this one. But in the background, the breweries, you know, maybe swapping hops out based on availability 
all the time for beers you drink and are like, oh, this basically tastes the same uh, as it did last time. It's more pronounced, uh, the change rather, if you were to swap out like a hop, it's a later edition hop, as we talked about before, that really imparts the flavor of that beer, the later you add it into the boil, that may be more noticeable. But we would use, a lot of breweries will stick to um, a single hop they use as their bittering hop for all their beers that they add early into the brew for all of them. But pale little IPA doesn't matter, even like a lager. They may throw that a little bit in there and just as a single hop charge, but it's the same hop and then mess around with stuff they finish up with. So it kind of it depends when you add it um, in the in the actual brew. It depends if it's a dry hop or not. It depends on also hops have, I would say, argue much more variability year to year farm to farm and region to region than malt does pale ale two row malt. I can't distinguish the difference between, you know, one that's grown in Kansas and, and, you know, in the UK and Germany. I mean, there's some you can, but most of the time it's, it's a pale ale malt. And if this guy runs out of it, I can get it from this guy and that's not going to do much of a drop off. So, long way of saying that like i think there's even more flexibility and more variability you can get away with as a brewer with your hops than you could uh that made people really realize um and it won't affect the end result of the beer as much as as maybe people think because there are lots of hops that are interchangeable with each other um um, yeah so you can kind of mess around with it and and maybe people won't, won't notice that's that's, I think, important to realize where, like, oftentimes I'll hear people say, like, oh, I don't like Amarillo. Um, and that's fair if you just drank a single hopped Amarillo pale right. ale and right. you realize you, right. you react. You but like Galaxy it. gets it a lot for, for people that tell me they don't like a specific hop. Sure. It may as well be malt related, but but from the sounds of it, it seems like most beers are primarily pale malt with just a little nudge in mm-hmm. one direction or the other with some specialty right. malts. Right. And so this is a transition, but the last question I had prepared for you, and we haven't talked about it yet, so um, I'll ask you just to kind of uh, give me your 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 briefest synopsis of, of what extract is. But the question mm. is, if you and I were going to brew a beer in my garage tonight, yeah, um and you know we were building a recipe would would you want to use extract for that or grain is there is there i mean if we're home brewing i'm going to take professional sure. brewing out of the equation sure um, but you hear uh, it's it, you, you if you if you type in google homebrew extract you're going to get versus grain almost immediately is yep. there a big difference or, or what is the big difference or kind of pros and cons and brewing with extract versus like a, a real grain? Or is there a way to do kind of a little of both? Mm, a little bit of both. Right. Yeah. So um, what John's talking about extract versus all grain uh, is oftentimes, and this is how the first brew I made on my stovetop. Uh, this is the case. Uh, early in your home brewing career, you probably brew a lot of extract beers. Extract just means that a company has extracted basically like a sugary syrup from a bunch of malted grains. They're doing that process for you of malting it, milling it, boiling it, concentrating it down, put it in a can or turn it into like a, a dry um, powder uh, and then 
put it in your homebrew store, your homebrew shop stocks it. So, and it's in, and it takes care of that 70 to 80% of the grain bill. But it kind of, as we were talking about, yes, you could make a beer that's like just like two row malt extract, but you'd want to add most of the time, at least one or two, especially malts to it to give a little bit of character. Um, And that's where a partial malt or partial mash Partial grain is their kind of all interchangeable terms. Um, brewing comes in, which is what most people end up doing the first time they brew anyway, where they'll get like a can or a bag, depending on if it's liquid malt extract or dry malt extract of malt extract. That's again, 70, 80% of that grain bill. And then probably like a couple little baggies of some, uh, some other actual grains, um, and like a cheesecloth bag to put those in, so they'll probably tell you to like boil the, um, boil the malt extract, ex- or, or heat it up. Actually, for partial grains, they'll say put this, in, put this in the bag, put it in there, heat it up as heating up. Basically, make a tea with those specialty grains, and then before it boils, add the, um, the malt extract as well. So you're gonna probably be doing a little bit of both. Even it's your first brew day, kind of steeping some grains in some water along with your malt extract, which will do most of the work for you, provide most of the sugars, all that stuff. For me, though, I mean, I did, a, I think I only did three or so malt extract brews. As I've said before, I was lucky to get kind of roped in with a bunch of guys who had some pretty serious equipment early on in my brewing, home brewing experience, um, which quickly turned into real, like commercial brewing very quickly after that. Um, so I was lucky there and I didn't have to do the old malt extract much, but kind of the general consensus is it's great. You can make great beer with malt extract. There's nothing at all wrong with it. Don't let that be a deterrence from you taking up home brewing, jump in, you're going to make some really cool beer and it's going to be easy to do. Um, but inevitably, as soon as you fall in love with it, you're going to like most things, you know, you, you hobby over, you're going to want more control over it, want to dive deeper into the granular parts of it to make it exciting and interesting. And then you're, then you've been hooked into the all grain train and get ready to spend $2,000 on some ridiculous piece of coming loose in your garage and is the cause of 90% of your disagreements <laughs> with your significant other. So, uh, but it's okay. It's all right. Uh, it's okay. We're all there with you. Relax, have a homebrew. You'll be fine. But, um, but, uh, yeah, so that's, again, that's, <laughs> malt extract's great, but uh, all grain is it just gives you. For me, also it gives you that feeling of like, right, I'm back in the brew house. It feels like it, smells like it, it looks like it. You're don't let anyone kid you. You're if you have a nice all grain setup, you can make as good a beer as as any brewery. And I'll challenge anyone who disagrees with that. I can if they they don't agree, I can I can show you how to do it. That's I, I, I'm excited for when we get to the homebrew section of beer 101 if you're on the fence about homebrewing harrison myself and a lot of active and amazing homebrewers are in the facebook group i'm always really excited when someone approaches me and says hey here's an unmarked bottle with a cap that i put on myself (laughs) uh, from a beer that's been in my closet for three weeks do you want to try it the answer is absolutely give me some of that and 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 hopefully some of this kind of uh, maybe even made you ask more questions. If you do, yeah, uh, at, at have more questions. Find us in our Facebook group. Uh, send an email to podcasts at untapped.com. 
um, <laughs> or check the show notes. That'll be the easiest way. And then just click the email button in there. But, uh, but let us know what questions do you have about beer? What's coming up in the next episode, Harrison? Yeah, so we're going to jump over right into uh, water next for our next Beer 101 segment. Focus on water, which is, I could argue every one of these is the most important ingredient, But and I'll do that again next week or you know in two weeks about water. Uh, we'll, we'll run to that, and we'll feature two new beers that we're going to announce um, actually early on the Facebook group. That was a great idea that came to us from uh, David inside the Facebook group. So we're going to start doing that now, actually share with you guys before we record uh, the next episode or a drink. So if you want to drink along with us, that'll be an easy thing to do. And what else, John? Well, other than that, uh, make sure that you're subscribed to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'd love it if you left a review. I'd love it more if you left a good review, but it's up to you. Um, but being subscribed to the Drinking Socially podcast, even if it's on YouTube, that's the best way to make sure you get a, a notification or an update when a new show comes out. We welcome you to contribute to the show and more as we kind of set our sights on ways to keep adapting the show uh, into a little bit more of an interactive experience. Uh, and if you want to see Harrison actually drink along with some of these beers, um, it's it's amazing the amount of foam that arrives in his mustache um which right. probably doesn't translate audibly audibly check yep. it check us out on youtube <laughs> um just go into youtube type drinking socially type untapped right. uh you'll see the untapped channel in there or again check the show notes that's right um, which will be available at podcast.untapped.com Again, if you have questions, feedback, concerns, homebrew recipes, you want to drink with Harrison. Sorry, bud. Um, <laughs> um, his calendar's full, but we can schedule something if you're yeah, in the Wilmington sure. area. Uh, connect with Untapped directly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Connect with Harrison and myself right at our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash drinking socially. And other than that, we will see you guys in two weeks. Cheers. Cheers. We got a little bit left in this one. Mm-hmm.